Hey there, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to let you know what you, the listeners, want to hear as far as guests and topics for the show. I'm also going to talk about an upcoming post on Niche Site Project about the non-success stories that are out there, so I will let you know kind of what that means. I have a new course, and if you're listening to this the week that this podcast episode is released, a course called Multi-Profit Site is available for enrollment. So it's, it's launching, and I'm very excited about it. It's been a ton of work over the last few weeks, but I think I think we have something pretty cool. And then I'm gonna hit some listener Q&A. So thanks for the people that have been sending in questions. Really appreciate it. And before we get to the meat of it, I wanna let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Ezoic. Ezoic is a Google certified partner and they have a tool called the SiteSpeed Accelerator, which as you can imagine, helps your website load more quickly. It does a lot of the optimization that's sort of tricky to get right on your own. And I've been mentioning this the last few weeks, Basically, if you use the SiteSpeed Accelerator by Ezoic, you will, number one, you should be able to get a Google Page in PageSpeed Insight score of 80 or higher. And the best way to do it is to not use the WordPress plugin, by the way, but is to use the DNS that Ezoic allows you to configure. So basically you point your registrar, slightly technical, but you point your registrar to the Ezoic DNS servers and it sort of lays on top of your website, right? So I think the terminology that I'm using is probably way off, but essentially you're able to avoid WordPress plugin conflicts and you're able to use the caching and content delivery network, the CDN, that Ezoic has, which is very robust, it's very fast, and even if you are running display ads via Ezoic, it will probably load faster if you're using the site speed accelerator than if you're not running ads at all. At least I've heard that from a few users already. So they let me know that they had some pretty good results. So give it a shot. There's a seven-day free trial, and there is a link in the description and show notes. A few weeks back, I mentioned that, gosh, I get quite a few email pitches from random people that I don't know that are trying to be guests on the show. And I'm pretty sure these are coming from marketing agencies that say that they'll be able to get a person on podcast episodes and they can promote their books. Usually it's books and their business in general. And sometimes these pitches are Oh, actually the pitches usually suck, but sometimes the people who may be the guest could potentially be okay. Oftentimes I've never heard of them. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but many times I just don't know who they are. So sometimes I'll reply back and say, Hey, it's not a good fit. But at this point I'm getting so many of them that, uh, I was like, Oh, I got to do something with this. I mean, there, there could be some good ones in there. And I started to realize that There are some podcasts that charge people to be guests on the show. Now, if I know someone and I have made contact with them previously or they have an interesting story, I'm not going to charge you to be on the podcast. You will be invited and I'll be, you know, going out of my way to help you out. We'll chat often before and after. And, you know, we're networking basically. We're we're now contacts and we're we're friendly. 
when a cold pitch comes in, I don't know who they are. It is clear they're trying to take advantage of me in some way. Like it, it feels bad. The email feels like they're trying to sell me on something. So I'm, I'm always suspect. I'm pretty suspect anyway. But when I get those emails, I'm like, I don't know if I want to deal with this person. So anyway, I asked you, the listeners, to shoot me an email to let me know, would you want to hear some of these like bigger guests who are publishing books? Or do you like these success stories and more relatable stories from people like yourselves, like us, like me? And the answer overwhelmingly is you want to hear normal stories from normal people. Generally, that is the most popular episode anyway. I can see that with the metrics. I hear more responses. I mean, there are people who, you know, they were on the show early on years ago and just slowly over time, hundreds, thousands of people have listened to them. So they're able to, I mean, they're like little, you know, smaller celebrities, even though they're not, they have no business, they have no front phasing business, but people know who, who I have interviewed. And sometimes they make the rounds on other shows, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool for them because they could show up, for example, at a conference or some kind of gathering and people know them, they know their story and it's kind of cool. It's pretty cool. So I, I'm going to be continuing to focus, or I guess I'm kind of scattered sometimes. There's some bigger guests, some smaller guests, but I definitely get, am going to continue favoring the relatable stories. And those are often the most interesting from a standpoint of like, oh, how, how did this person connect the dots after they failed for a while? Or actually, sometimes people come out of nowhere and they kind of figure it out. But usually there's you know two or three false starts before someone really connects the dots and before they really you know reach reach a point where they want to share the story and they're excited to share it. So the only caveat is occasionally, occasionally, a larger guest may have a great case study or some actionable ideas that we do want to hear. And and I get that. And I think usually it's, you know, it's a guest who did come from a relatable spot, right? So they, they came from a place like the rest of us did, and they were trying to figure it out and they eventually figured it out. And occasionally they, they're, you know, big and successful now, but they can still break it down and they still are in the trenches to some extent. And that makes sense to me. People really don't want to hear someone who's just trying to promote a product or a book, and they really don't have much else to say beyond that. So I'll definitely keep that in mind. And I, I actually created a guest submis- submission page on the podcast website so that when people do send me those pitches, I could just say, sure, I'd love to have the person on. Let me know what package they want. So they see, hey, this is a transaction. You're going to treat me like a jerk. <laughs> then you can pay me some money if you want to be on the show. So I basically tell them, hey, this is an ad and you could sponsor the show. And the prices are, I think I have 500, 1,000 and 2,000. So at that point, it's worth my time for the editor and the hosting and my time and all that deal. So I'll let you know um, off the record. I'll let you know at some point if someone bites, but yeah, so that's out there. And you know, if you happen to listen to the show and perhaps you have an agency or something like that, and you're like, hey, I want to talk about my agency and 500 bucks sounds like a good deal to be on the show, get on YouTube and have an email sent out 
to my email list, which is, I won't give the exact number, but it's over 10,000. So a lot of people, you know, potentially over 30,000 people could have their eyes on it. Although that YouTube number is a little skewed, you know, I would say on average, just ballpark, an average video is getting 500 to a thousand views over a few weeks or so. And then if you have a very interesting topic, it could climb, but the message was received. And as I took a step back, I realized, yes, those are, those are the, you know, success stories that I like to hear personally, people that have been working at it for a while. And they finally, they finally connected the dots. That said, we have a nice transition over to the survey that I sent out a few weeks ago. So if you're not on the email list, you should join. It's just head over to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, and then enter your name and email. You'll get all the templates that I use and hopefully what I consider <laughs> helpful emails. And you know, occasionally I'll send you some marketing stuff, but usually it's closely related to exactly what we're talking about here. So I sent an email to my list and said, hey, there's all these great success stories out there, but I know a lot of people have not reached the success that they wanted. And I got this idea from the Empire, is it the Empire Flippers still, or is it Empire Podcast? Honestly, I'm not sure. I'll have to, actually, let me pause and check that. It's Empire Flippers. So I I thought at one point they rebranded and folks, this is a, a great podcast. I used to listen to it all the time. And then I think they kind of stopped doing episodes, but it's Justin Cook and Joe Magnati. These guys are great. They were in a big company. I know a lot of people read the blog. You check out their marketplace and these are great guys. I should have them on the show. I haven't talked to either one of them in, in quite a while, but they're pretty awesome. And I've guest posted over there in the past. And they're if, if you have not heard the show, you should check it out. I believe they are starting to publish more podcast episodes now these days. So guys, if if you happen to listen to my show, um, give me a shout and we can perhaps collaborate. But anyway, these guys were talking about basically looking for non-success stories and publishing those just because we are often talking about these overnight successes, or at least it sounds like an overnight success. And I was like, that's a great idea. I've kind of had, you know, that sort of idea before where it's like cover the opposite of a success story to let people know. And I've done that a couple of times where, you know, someone hit a Google penalty and then I asked them to write a guest post, a niche site project to see, you know, where they were mentally, how they're dealing with it um, from a strategic standpoint and so on. I sent out this survey and got quite a few results over 30 people responded back and a lot of people did want to share the story. So I have this blog post coming out soon and I'm just going to sort of tease what's going on. And basically people are probably a little bit tired of reading those, uh, how I built a hundred K per month blog in six months. And you're not alone if you're tired of hearing those, it can really inspire and motivate. But sometimes if you're still like not, not connecting the dots, if you're still struggling to gain traction, those, those stories may actually demotivate you. You may be wondering, well, why haven't I been able to do that in six months? And that's why I asked my readers and people on the email list to share 
There's stories about things that flopped or just didn't really meet their expectation. So thanks for all the people that did reply back, much appreciated. And I think, you know, I won't be able to go into full detail here, but the idea is if at first you don't succeed, welcome to the club. I mean, that is kind of the way it goes. Usually when we're first getting started, we make mistakes. I did that several times in the first, um, I would say six months before I reached any sort of success or made any money online. And I continue to make mistakes, by the way, every every week, every month. But actually, the unfortunate thing is um, now the mistakes have like bigger consequences because I'm reaching more people and they're just bigger mistakes. But I usually don't make the same exact mistake again and again. And the trick is you have to be flexible. You have to analyze what was going on, keep moving forward and adjust when you need to. So a big part of the motivation from teaching or my motivation for teaching others is um, I've learned these things along the way and I can help you not make those mistakes. And the other part is you have to remember that success is a little bit different for everyone. For one person, it may be great to make a couple hundred dollars extra per month and you're gonna be able to do a lot with that. You can you know, go out to eat more often, you could pay off debt, you can actually save for retirement, and if you're far enough away from retirement, a couple hundred dollars per month extra could be massive, massive with a compound interest. So whatever your definition of success is, we've all experienced those ups and downs when you're trying to learn something new and implement something new. So I'm just going to give you uh, one of the, the biggest issues that people have here. There's, there's several that people pointed out. But one of the quickest ways, one of the quickest paths to failure is heading out without any plan, with no roadmap. Sure, your gut instinct can maybe get you so far, especially if you're a big time action taker. You know, that's great to take action. But when you're building a site, there's so many variables. And if you don't know really what you're aiming for, it can be so confusing. So many people assume that by simply trying a little of this and a little of that, they'll eventually stumble upon the thing that works. But just to be clear, um, if you're testing, that, that's great. If you're able to test in a strategic way, you could figure th- some things out. But if you don't know anything about the subject and maybe it's your first site or you know, ignore, let's ignore and say it's not necessarily an affiliate site or a content site of any kind. Let's say you're trying to do drop shipping. Your first time around, you probably don't know what's going on. You need to have like a baseline understanding of what you need to be doing. So let me read you a couple quotes from people that basically were operating without a plan. So they were just kind of randomly doing things that they heard about. Maybe they had the broad strokes okay, but they didn't really have the exact plan of what they needed to do and what they what they needed to look out for along the way. So this is from Sandro. I had a general idea about what affiliate marketing was and I knew how to build a website, but I never got further than buying a domain and publishing a basic coming soon page because I didn't have a clear path for what to do next. I kept researching instead of actually doing the work. Dave says this, I bought a done for you site in 2017 and monetized it with Amazon affiliate. 
That worked for about a year, but I failed to get traffic or significant revenue, and I had trouble focusing and executing the tasks that really mattered. So in both cases, it's just like, well, I don't I don't really know what to work on, and I'm spending a lot of time researching, and I, I don't really know what to do. Another issue that happens is the shiny objects syndrome. So new mentors, new courses, and new Google quote hacks, keyword research tools, new plugins, other business models. They're just so, they're so shiny and exciting. And you try everything, but you rarely stick with anything long enough to actually see it through to success. And sometimes it's hard to tell if you are, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall and you're thinking, well, this, this case study says that they were able to do this in three months and it's been six months for me. And you're thinking, well, that didn't work. I'm going to move on. But you could be missing something there. And perhaps you jump from drop shipping to some sort of funnel design app that you're trying to, to market. And then you jump over to affiliate marketing for ClickBank products and nothing quite seems to work. So it's really important not to get you know sucked in with a shiny object syndrome. And this uh, this one's from Hando here. Someone on a forum said that Google really likes user-generated content. So I decided to add a forum to my site and I started looking for the next thing. And then another forum said directories were the way to go. So I added a directory to the site and that didn't work either. So what I was left with was a monstrosity that didn't really rank for anything. And it's so frustrating because basically you're doing a lot of work you are trying to follow probably case studies, probably something where a person implemented, they reached success and they had traffic, they had results. And you're thinking, hey, I'm gonna try to do that. And it didn't really didn't really work for you. And it's hard to say. It's hard to say whether it's because the implementation, you know, your execution was a little bit off, or if there's other variables that you're not exposed to, you know, maybe you see these case stories and they tell you 80% of what they're doing and they leave out the very important 20%. And, um, sometimes it could just be a case study. That's a fluke. It is an end of one and someone got a little bit lucky and they weren't able to recreate it. So you never really know what's going on with those case studies, unless, unless someone can actually point to multiple situations, multiple case studies where, hey, it worked for me. And by the way, someone else implemented it. They were able to repeat it in a you know different area. There are many variables, but those variables actually didn't matter. And it was successful in multiple different areas. So very interesting when you start, you know, dissecting the old shiny object syndrome. It's like, oh, the next the next big thing is going to be the thing that's going to make a difference. So there's a few more in here, but the main thing is, you know, if you have, have a plan, like you're operating from a plan that you know is, I guess, going to be successful or it can be successful, that is, that's huge. And with this new course that I'm publishing, multi-profit site, I'm going to give you sort of the high level. So obviously there's a lot of details in there. It's a massive course, a lot more, a lot more in there than I first thought there was going to be. But the concept of a content site, being an online publisher is fairly straightforward. There's 
a couple levers to pull. There's some thumb screws out there. It's a ton of work. It's a ton of work, but it's pretty simple to understand overall. And sort of the high level of what's going on is a few steps. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read them out here and let you know kind of what you should be aiming for. And each of these explodes into, you know, hundreds of tasks and different pieces that you have to get into. So if you're starting from scratch, you should be looking at brainstorming a niche and doing some keyword research based on those niches. Now I'm going to give you a couple things to look for in a few minutes about the brainstorming and what you should be looking for for a niche. This varies from person to person for some of the reasons that are upcoming, but but basically if you get some if you get some good ideas, you'll be able to do some keyword research to make sure people are actually actually searching for those keywords in the niche so that you know it'll actually be profitable at the end of the day. The second big thing you have to get into before you even buy the domain or start the site or do anything is analyze the competition. And a couple of the questions coming up from the listener Q&A are around competition. So I'll go into some more detail later, but in the simplest form, you are Googling some of the terms, you're looking at some of the big players, some of the sites out there, that are in existence already, all right? You don't want to go to a niche where there's zero competition. Usually that indicates a market that is not quite mature enough for the kind of the kind of site that I want to create, the kind of site that most of us want to create. So if it's too early and there's no competition, that may be something you want to avoid. Next, you got to publish the right kind of content and that will be based on a few things. Number one, the keyword research. You want to make sure that content is going to be searched for so that it can get traffic, but also depending on your exact business model, you want to make sure that content is part of the funnel. So if you're selling digital products like software, then maybe how-to content on a specific uh, you know, software-related task or a task that could be solved and done more quickly with software is where that's the sort of how-to article you want to write. If you are trying to sell affiliate products, you want to publish product reviews and have keyword research that supports that as well. So buyer's keywords. Next, you need to get traffic to the site. So this is promoting the site, potentially it could be link building depending on you know your stance and what you want to do and how you view link building. And I'm not talking about gray hat link building. I'm talking about sort of intentionally networking out there in the hopes that you will get links because links do matter quite a bit. Additionally, there's other promotion you can do. Again, just by networking and putting yourself out there, you can probably get links in the long run. So, you know, part of that could be through guest posting. Part of it could be through publishing content on your site that is unique data. So you can run surveys, right? So I sent out a survey. I'm gonna share it with some people once I, I get it out there. And potentially people are gonna be interested in the data. So it probably is one of those situations where if you come up with a great idea, what you think is a great idea for a survey and original data and you publish it and it doesn't get picked up and people don't care, you may have actually picked a topic that people don't care about very much. So I have a feeling that you have to do this a few times. You probably have to take a few swings before you get something that really takes off. And potentially, 
once you get some attention by publishing that unique data that only you can gather, that you're publishing originally, once they see some of the surveys are valuable, they may find some of your others and start sharing and or linking to those. And I know from just the internet marketing space, if you can say do a big study where you're analyzing a bunch of websites and the length of content, for example, maybe the number of links that they have, if you're able to publish some you know, relevant data, a lot of people are gonna pick it up and share it, which is obviously a great way to promote the site, thus helping you get traffic in the long run. And finally, monetizing with different profit sources. So this is one of the big things. This is you know, the root of multi-profit site, being able to earn from multiple sources. So as many people know, I spent a lot of time talking about the Amazon affiliate program, Amazon Associates. It's a great program. It was great for many years, but as time has gone on and as Amazon has cut the commission rates, it's been hitting me <laughs> in the ass pretty hard and several other people too. I've interviewed a few folks in the last couple months that you know they've been hit hard. We're all pivoting and in many ways, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be all right. It sucks in the short term, but I've always said, you develop skills, like I know a lot about content and keyword research and just building a site and working with a team on the site. I have a lot of skills in that area and I know how to build a site that gets traffic. So it's gonna be okay. And I'm gonna give you some options for other revenue streams. And this should help you back at that step one, the brainstorming and niche selection these are some things you definitely need to consider when you're looking for a site that can earn from multiple profit streams aside from Amazon, because Amazon should probably still be in the picture. There are so many people that buy from Amazon on a regular basis that it would be you know, kind of foolish not to have at least some products linking to the Amazon store, all right? So... There's just so much volume. I think there's 100 million estimated Amazon Prime members. And at number two, we have Walmart. And I think the Amazon market share is like 38%. Walmart is like 5%. So that also means there's like 42% of the market that's still out there. So let's talk about these affiliate programs for physical products. So you got Amazon, you have Walmart, eBay is pretty big, especially in the used product market, but there's a lot of new products you could buy there as well. And there are just individual companies that you can work with. There are big marketplaces like Commission Junction, Impact Radius, Share a Sale, and so on. And sometimes you could work directly with companies, which is great. So all those are physical products and that's cool. Most of the time, if you're working with a company that's not Amazon, you will get better terms. So the rules potentially won't be as strict. Amazon is kind of kind of known for being not arbitrary, but the rules are so, sort of, um, I would say they are enforced in a spotty way at best. And then when people get in trouble, it's often hard to get real feedback about what the issue was so that you can fix it. So if you're working with another program, they may be a little more flexible, which is great. The other thing is you probably get better terms as far as the cookie period. It may be seven days, could be 30 days, could be 60 days. If it's a smaller company, 
It could be much longer. It could be 180 days. Like those are out there. And the other part is you can get a much higher commission rate. So instead of your, you know, say one to 4% with Amazon, as we're dealing with those new commission rates right now, you may be able to get commission rates that are, you know, 10% or 8% across the board, or maybe there's some volume-based payout rate as well. So there are many different structures and sometimes you can get favorable rates if you have a lot of traffic and you build your relationship with that company. The, another area to look for is service-based businesses. So it may not be relevant for your specific niche, but in the internet marketing world, there's SEO agencies, there's content agencies, there's companies like Fiverr. Those are great. I mean, you can recommend those products. And again, it may not be uh, totally relevant if you are looking at uh, an industry that doesn't really have like any sort of online services, but I would challenge you to try and figure out how you can make that work. If it's something, I guess, more offline and a little more physical, you actually could be an affiliate for service-based businesses like say plumbers or lawn maintenance folks, kind of, I mean, this is really a local SEO and some people may call this uh, lead generation. So you potentially could do lead generation as, you know, in, in this case, I'm framing it as an affiliate, but basically if you have good leads, you potentially can make this work. So there's a lot of different ways to slice it. Once you start thinking, okay, I have traffic, these service-based businesses want to make more sales and I have an audience. Is there any way that I can connect those folks? Moving on to the next one, display ads. And those are more straightforward. I mean, the easiest and most popular is AdSense. There are uh, some details to consider with AdSense, but the rules are pretty well spelled out over there on their uh, sort of terms of service. But there are some, you know, some specific topics that you're probably not going to be able to monetize those areas uh, I guess like uh, anything with violence or, or sex related things. AdSense has a lot of, you know, general, general sponsors out there. So you kind of keep, you got to have a, a niche or at least a lot of your content that is, I would say G rated. So the cool thing is there are a lot of other ad networks out there. Ezoic is a company that I work with, but you have Mediavine and actually a ton of other ones, but I, I actually don't know. I'm not as familiar. There's way more out there than I realized, but it's worth it to give it a shot and display ads are great for informational content. The other cool thing is you could work directly with companies, including sponsored content. So maybe instead of having a, an AdSense banner or a, basically a spot on your site where different ads could cycle in and cycle out. And typically any, any of those ad networks are going to slow down your site quite a bit. I know my friend, Matt Giovannisi, he's like, I don't want to run ads. It slows your site down and the user experience is no good. However, if a person, if someone works directly with a company and you're able to put a banner and just put it up as an image and have basically a, a static kind of ad on your site, it should not impede your site. You can structure it so that it won't slow down your site. In fact, if you're doing sponsored content, you could just have a regular blog post and it could be sponsored content. 
So there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And if you do that, if you're working directly with companies, generally it shouldn't, I hope, interfere with any kind of uh, page load time or making your user experience poor. So, and I, I can imagine this, if you sort of set it up where you had a review uh, on a specific product. So very straightforward, you have a review on a specific product. Yes, you would have to disclose that it's sponsored, um, but potentially, you know, you could frame things in a way that is very authentic and helpful for the user and helpful for the company. Sometimes, frankly, the companies just want to have their name out there in the market. That, that's part of it. Some of these big companies are just, you know, they're running ads all over the place and they just want name recognition. And finally, the area that I think is probably the most important and an area that I've neglected, I would say, for a long time is the digital product space. So digital products are what I would classify as courses and software. You could also, I guess, courses could be info products of some time, so of some kind. So technically those could be eBooks or something like that. But generally these are just digital products that you can promote as an affiliate. And these are my favorite because the margins are so high with the digital products. You can sell a digital product an unlimited number of times, whether it's courses or software, eBooks or whatever. It's scalable in a way that the physical products aren't. And that means the product owner, whether it's a course or a software product, the owner has a lot of leeway for the marketing budget because the margins are so high. Typically, you're gonna see really high payouts for courses and software. Sometimes it's as high as 50% for a lot of courses out there. I know I don't have many affiliates, but the couple affiliates that I have for my products, I'm paying out 50%. It's, it's very high. And I think that is, that's kind of a standard for a lot of, of folks. However, there are other courses, especially if it's a bigger, bigger team, the payout may only be, you know, 20%, but often the, the prices for courses, at least the ones that I'm working with are quite high. So it does make sense to have that sort of split. So it could be anywhere from, you know, I would say 15 to 50% for courses on software, you may see similar payouts. Sometimes it's higher depending on the, the software. You may get an even higher payout. But a lot of times for software, it will be anywhere from, say, 10 to 50% again. So sometimes software does have more overhead. Sometimes the companies that are putting out the software basically have op operating fees, like much higher operating fees because the software runs off of a server somewhere and the software owner has to pay for the processing power, all the servers and that sort of thing. So there's inherently uh, some, some expenses that may not be apparent, but generally, unless um, you know it is a service-based software product that has to run on servers and is you know, kind of processor intensive, generally you're gonna end up with high margin. So anyway, these digital products are great for that reason. So when we put all of this together, you're looking for a niche where there are digital products, hopefully courses and software. And once you start looking, I know you may be thinking, hey, there's hardly any of those out there. There must be only a handful. I challenge you to go check out Masterclass, right? You have probably seen those ads out there, maybe on Facebook, 
maybe on any website that you visit that has any ads, but Masterclass has these huge celebrities, basically, and they teach classes from sports to cooking to filmmaking and writing, writing fiction, writing nonfiction, directing, all like almost any topic. There's, uh, I think there's gardening and I bet there's one on, oh, I think there's one on poker and maybe interrogation and uh, negotiation. So the point is there are courses on almost anything. And a lot of times, but not always, you can find things that have software products for them, especially if you're thinking of apps for your phone or other smart device, you may be able to find software that people use all the time. So with that said, the best niches have physical products. They have multiple companies that you can work with as affiliates. You can work with big retailers like Amazon and Walmart and Target and eBay. You can work with individual companies. There are probably services people want to purchase that are related to it. And Display ads are kind of universal. Those are probably going to be able to work for almost any kind of content because there's always how-to and informational topics for any niche. And then finally, the holy grail, if you can find the other things, if you can find some software products, whether they are software or sorry, digital products in general, if you could find one or both courses or software, you're going to be in great shape. Those are fantastic. And once you start looking you will realize there are more niches out there that fall into these categories than you realize. So the key is to find find a niche that has all of those aspects. So those are the kind of topics that I'm going to be covering in Multiprofit Site. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check out the course if you want to. And it's going to be great. There's a lot of content as I've started putting together the course material. I kept thinking of like more and more details and more and more over the shoulder videos to shoot. So it's very rich with content and it takes you step by step from brainstorming, doing keyword research, finding the niche. I'm demonstrating over the shoulder so you get to see exactly how I'm doing it. And I've never done this before. I'm building a site live alongside you and the students. So it is inside the course. It's not going to be you know, publicly available or anything like that, but I'm building it inside the course. So as people are building their sites, they'll be able to see what I'm working on. Very risky. You know, people could mess with it. I hope not. And at some point, it's just going to be out there in the open, which is unfortunate, but that is the reality of you know what's going to happen. So I hope it's going to work out. I hope no one messes with it too much, but it's going to be pretty exciting to build it alongside the students. And I'm actually, I'm actually shooting those videos kind of in a vlog style. So as you can imagine with a course, there's a lot of talking head videos, but because I do vlog a little bit, I am making it slightly more casual and getting away from my desk. It actually helps me get away from the desk for a few minutes to go shoot a video talking about, you know, what I'm working on and why I'm choosing, you know, certain choices. So it should be pretty cool. The other thing to note with the course, it is going to be discounted for launch week. I don't discount my courses. I think a lot of people probably know that. I don't run sales or anything like that, but I'm working with another group called internetmarketing.gold. A lot of cool people over there, 
very good crew. And they do. They they actually run a launch week, the initial launch for a course, and it is discounted. So it's roughly 50%. It is 50% off for this launch week. So if you are listening to this while we're opening it up for the first time, it will be discounted. If you are listening to it in the future, there is no discount. I'm sorry. It's just a one, one-time situation unless, uh, yeah, actually just a one-time situation to my knowledge. We're not going to be discounting it again. And that actually fits with my MO in general to, you know, this is premium stuff. We want people that are serious. So, you know, no discounts in the future. But if you're, if you're listening during launch week, now is the time to take advantage of it. And let's move on to the questions here. All right, got a few in here. Cyberbeast, who has emailed me a few times, uh, I think he or she was able to uh, make the first couple sales, which is pretty cool. But they have this question. What should I do when products in our articles are out of stock? So you have a couple choices here. You know, number one, there are some plugins out there like Amalinks Pro or Lasso that will basically let you know when a product is out of stock. So you can take action and probably pick a different product. Now, in the case where you have a review and one of the products is reviewed in there and you're thinking, well, I don't want to change the whole article. That's too much work. I don't want to do it. Or for some reason, it's just out of stock for a short period. So number one, you can do nothing in the short term. So if it's just out of stock and it'll be back in stock at some point, it's okay. It'll be back in stock. If you realize it's like a discontinued product, then you should probably take that part of the article out or at least say, we're leaving this review in, but I can tell you, hey, this product is discontinued as of this date. Here's our other recommendation here. And then have maybe a mini review for that product. So when you do know that it's out of stock and discontinued, you should probably at least state, hey, this is discontinued. I've actually done that for a few posts of mine where, yeah, they just don't make it anymore. They have a new model. So I'll say, hey, this product is gone. Here's the new model. Here's the details about the new model. And I think the easiest way to sort of deal with this is to have one of those plugins. Oh, I just remember Genius Link gives you a report as well for out-of-stock items. So you do want to take care of this Amazon if you're dealing with Amazon, they want you to keep your articles up to date and they don't want to have a poor user experience. So it's not great to send someone to a product that is out of stock and unavailable. So as much as you can, update it, let the person know this is out of stock sometimes, this is discontinued, here's another recommendation. And again, if it's just out of stock because of high demand and it'll be back, then you may be all right just waiting to see if it's going to resolve itself. So thanks Cyber Beast for sending it in. Next question is from Fed. And Fed was one of the people that emailed me and said, hey, I want to hear, you know, hear some interviews from guests that are more relatable. So thanks Fed for that. So Fed's question is around interpreting pages from a competition perspective. So what does it mean when you're trying to rank for a review keyword and you see customer reviews from Amazon or forums? Is that good or bad? 
And then is that something that we can compete with? And what is Google telling me with the results that it's showing? So if you are seeing, number one, I typically, I honestly don't go for, uh, you know, quote, review keywords. And those would be best ballpoint pen review or ballpoint pen review. So I usually don't do that because as you said, customer reviews from Amazon tend to kind of populate the first page of the SERPs. So I usually don't go for review keywords. I usually go for best keywords. So best ballpoint pen versus ballpoint pen review. So with that said, I would I would recommend that you probably test it on your own, see how your content performs against some of those. Maybe run a test of say five or so posts and just see if they perform well or at least meet your expectations. Maybe they won't rank for the exact term that you were expecting, best ballpoint, or sorry, I keep saying this wrong. Maybe they're not, they are not ranking for ballpoint pen review, but they're ranking and bringing in traffic for another related term. That would be okay. It's just something that you would need to be aware of. But in general, if you are seeing uh, results that don't have the kind of site that you have, that is kind of a bad sign. So if you have an affiliate site, like obviously you do based on the question, if you don't see other affiliate sites, then you may want to avoid that keyword or like I said, run the test, see how it performs for your exact site. And then you have your own data to go off of in your own experience. Next, also from Fed, with a fresh site in a domain, what domain ratings could I compete with? Or does that not really matter if I can get more backlinks for a keyword? So basically, if you can get more backlinks, then you're probably okay. Of course, your content needs to be good. It needs to be high quality and at least as good as the other results on page one. As far as like the DRs that you can compete with, it does depend. Um, what I'm finding is, and DR is the domain rating, it's an HREFS metric. Basically, sometimes you'll see some terms where a page is ranking and it has a very low, I guess, the, the term that HREF uses is a URL rating. So it has a, a low URL rating, but the site has a high domain rating and it's ranking high. And then other times you'll see just the opposite. So it's really hard to determine exactly, you know, what you can compete with, with a brand new domain and a fresh site. I will mention that the Google sandbox, the six month period where your site's probably not going to rank quite as well as it should is going to be in play. So with a fresh site and a fresh domain, you may be suppressed a little bit and you may need to, you know, keep publishing content, getting backlinks. It sounds like fed, you know, you know how to get backlinks, you know how to do that part of the puzzle there. So I would say you're going to be okay. And the, the big thing is like, if you have a long-term view, a fresh site and a fresh domain doesn't as ma doesn't matter as much. So if you're thinking about two to five years out, well, that's a lot of time. You could do a lot of work. You can catch up. Sites come out of nowhere. 
new, a lot of the sites that I've been analyzing lately for the new course, they, they were started in, you know, late 2018, I think one or two early 2017, but they're not that old and they're getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of visitors per month, at least based on some of the estimates that I see, knowing that a lot of the estimates from tools like Hrefs or SEMrush are low. So sites can grow out of nowhere. It takes a lot of work, a lot of high quality content, a lot of promotion and networking, but it can definitely be done. So if you have a long-term view, then, hey, start with a fresh domain. It's fine. What DRs can you compete with in the first six months? Who cares? You're looking out two to five years. That changes everything. You can make smarter decisions if you're thinking further out. Actually, if you think even further out than five years, like I've been running niche site projects since 2013, it's almost seven years old, right? So it's almost seven years old and... I never would have thought that, number one. You know, it's, it's hard for me to think seven years out from right now. It's hard for me to think two years out from right now. So if you do have that long-term view, it could change the decisions that you're making and you could be patient. You can take, take your time and it'll be okay. A lot of times folks are worried like, hey, I can only publish, you know, maybe two articles per month. Well, you're probably going to be able to in, increase that over time, number one. But at the end of two years, you'll have 24 articles. And I've interviewed multiple people in the last few weeks where they maybe only have 30 articles or so, but they're making good money from that content. They're making a lot more from a small number of articles because they are very focused. They're using the keyword golden ratio. So they have a very high conversion rate. And just over time, they're, they're pushing through. It's definitely sort of a marathon pace versus a, a sprint. So I hope everyone enjoyed those Q&As. By the way, if you want to have your question answered, you can shoot me an email at feedback at doug.show, feedback at doug.show. And there's a voicemail number in the show notes so you can give me a call, leave a voicemail. I haven't gotten any in a little while, so just shout out. If you do want to leave a voicemail, numbers in the show note, show notes there. So with that said, everybody have a great day out there. We'll talk to you on uh, the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here on my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.